0: everyone, this is Kina Wolfenstein and you're listening to the Complex Trauma Recovery Podcast. We are officially back after a year-long hiatus. Um, I'm really, really excited to start putting out podcast episodes again. So I am working on a series for this podcast, which is just going to be really breaking down and more deeply exploring experiential therapy modalities. So I've talked before on this podcast about... Bottom up therapy and how important that approach is for complex trauma. And I want to start just going deeper into some different bottom up modalities and what those look like. So, I have a series of therapist guests that I'm going to be interviewing. Each of them specializes in some different bottom up and experiential modalities. And I'm really excited to get to just kind of pick their brains and, and talk about how these different modalities look with complex trauma. So, I am really happy to be back. And I know that these episodes episodes. episodes are going to have a lot of good good content for people to learn from I also want to mention before we jump into this episode that my practice is actually hiring right now we're looking to expand so I'm just going to briefly talk about that and then we'll get into the episode so I work at a practice called Strong Root Psychotherapy. It's based in Austin, Texas, but it is a 100% virtual telehealth therapy practice. And our mission, our kind of vision, is to offer experiential bottom-up therapy for people. So you know, for those clients that have not responded to the cognitive approaches, the top-down approaches, um, we want to have kind of a team of therapists that can do the, these different experiential modalities with clients. So we're looking to expand, we're looking to hire therapists that are passionate about experiential work. You don't have to be super duper experienced in it, but we just would love to hire therapists that are kind of share that vision, share that dedication to bottom-up therapy, um, preferably people that are interested in working with trauma and complex trauma. So if you uh, would like to hear a little bit more about it, we are hiring therapists in every state um, because it is all telehealth. And you can email hello at strongrootpsychotherapy.com to inquire. You are listening to the complex trauma recovery podcast, and I'm super excited about our episode today. So this series that I'm working on is, um, breaking down different experiential and bottom-up therapy modalities. So I have a lineup of these different therapist guests that are going to be kind of highlighting and breaking down for us, um, the modalities that they use and kind of specifically looking at how those apply to complex trauma. And my guest today is Marley Cote. So Marley Cote is a licensed marriage and family therapist in California who specializes in trauma. As an emotionally focused, attachment-based and trauma-informed therapist, Marley utilizes two modalities to guide clients towards repair, reconnection, and inner healing. The Comprehensive Resource Model, CRM, is an approach that focuses on reconnecting clients with their innate internal resources to help them overcome the obstacles caused by trauma. Using a variety of techniques, including imagery, breath work, and body awareness, CRM helps clients access and utilize their internal resources to facilitate healing. Marley also specializes in emotionally focused therapy, EFT, which is an effective approach for couples struggling with communication, connection, and emotional intimacy. EFT helps couples break out of negative communication patterns and guides them towards secure and reliable attachment. So thank you so much for coming on my podcast, Marley.
1: I was muted. Sorry about that. (laughs) I was like, oh, you there? I'm gone. Yeah, no, thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate this opportunity just to, to speak more about the different modalities and just how we can best help any client in a sense. So thank you for this.
0: Yes. Thank you. I'm excited. So I've, I've learned a little bit about CRM. I actually saw a therapist myself that did some CRM and I am not trained in it, but I have had just a really great impression of it from, from what I have learned so far. So yeah, maybe we, let's just start with like a very basic intro. So what are kind of the bullet points for what, what CRM is?
1: So the comprehensive resource model as you can tell from the name, it really emphasizes the importance of resourcing. Um, what the I don't want to speak for the founder of the model, Lisa Schwartz, but I think what she found in her work with with treating clients with complex trauma, she found that a lot of them weren't able to go into the trauma to actually really thoroughly process, release it. And I think the, the biggest barrier she found to that was that they never felt safe enough, they never felt secure mm. enough that they could actually feel through what, what kept them stuck in a sense. So the comprehensive resource model, the, the resourcing is one of the most critical components to it, because if you don't have that neurobiological safety of the resources like embedded first, clients will never feel safe enough to actually go back to reprocess, reconsolidate those traumatic memories, those traumatic emotions.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, so in terms of kind of creating that neurobi- neurobiological safety before going into the trauma, mm-hmm. I feel like that's definitely kind of like a, a common common mm-hmm. thing in multiple therapy modalities. <laughs> it's kind of similar to like the EMDR yeah. as well, right? You do kind of the resourcing, mm-hmm. processing. So Can you just kind of break down for everyone, what are resources and like, what, what are the resources that help someone be able to go into trauma and process
1: it? Perfect question. And I might take a lot of time here discussing because I think as much time as you need. Totally. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Because there's about seven different resources we use in this model. The first resource is attunement. And the most like obvious form of attunement too is the attunement from the therapist to the client, but that's not the only form of attunement we look at. We also look at the therapist attunement to their self. So how am I attuned to myself in sessions? And how is the client attuned to themselves in sessions? Mm. So that's another piece we look for. I mean, especially for like highly dissociative clients, that attunement piece is critical because we might be able to, in a sense, use our bodies to Notice and feel something is is disconnected or incongruent, and we can highlight that with the client, or we can just use that relationship to to model the attunement that's that's needed to do this kind of work. Mm -hmm. So attunement is the first resource we use. Um, The next resource we use is deep breathing. There's about I want to say seven (laughs) deep breathing strategies we use in this model. Each deep breathing technique, though, because I know sometimes therapists will talk about deep breathing and clients will say. I breathe all the time, like what's the <laughs> point of this? And the, the point of it, and I get, I totally get that complaint, especially too, if the, the resource isn't actually tied to the significance of the resource, I think that's a fair criticism to deep breathing. But in this work with the deep breathing we use, it's it's very intentional and it, it uses imagery too. So for example, we have ocean breathing, which is breathing with the ocean to receive the soothing centering of the ocean. Earth breathing to become grounded, heart breathing to receive love, fire breathing. And that's my favorite one. Mm. Fire breathing is all about releasing rage, terror, panic, anything that feels frozen. Fire breathing is excellent somatically at moving through that material. Yeah, I love, I love me a good fire breath. When I ask my clients to do it, sometimes I'll do it with them. (laughs) It's like, come on, feel the power of this. Mm -hmm. Um, That's where deep breathing is really important, especially to just going back to the dissociative piece. Sometimes breathing is actually one of the most difficult resources for clients to move into because it means they're going to get back in their body. And that's, that's the whole intention there too, is let's get you back in. You got to feel what's in there. You got to feel how this trauma was stored in your body somatically move through it and then release it. Mm. So that's the deep breathing resource. Next we have what we call sacred place. And now this is where more imagery comes up. This is also to start to get a little bit more like meditation when I work with clients on this one. So sacred place, the resource of sacred place is to find grounding and security in the body. So what we do with that is we have clients, you know, I'll actually just ask clients, you know, just, you know, put yourself in a place of nature that you love more than anywhere else, a place where you both belong, are affiliated, connected to, a place that is inviolable, meant Mm. just for you. And what that resourcing does is it puts them back in their body where they can finally be grounded and remember connection belonging in a safe way right Mm -hmm. because I'll go into attachment soon here but oftentimes with clients who have some you know really difficult attachment histories sometimes attaching to something like an animal can actually be too activating yeah and that's that's where we'll start with breathe with the wind breathe with the trees feel the grass holding your feet feel the earth holding your feet so that's where we can start some like very light (laughs) attachment work of just feel the resourcing of nature around you feel the life force of nature around you like just feel that sense of belonging in the body that's not Mm. feeling flooded in a sense so that's sacred place. Yeah. Let me know too, if I should stop at any point, just to pause to discuss these further. <laughs> yeah. I, I
0: mean, we'll break all of these down. I think more afterwards, the, the review is great, but I'm thinking right now just that, yeah, it's like, um, co-regulation with nature, which is something that exactly. I've definitely seen with complex trauma being really important because like you said, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, the the most risky attachment experience or co-regulation experience is like to attach yeah. to another human. And then for mm-hmm. people that don't feel safe with that, like, animals can kind of be a, a second option to attach with animals. Exactly. And so if that's even too, you know, too dysregulating, it's like nature is that yeah. that starting place. So I love
1: that. Yeah. yeah. And I view it as like, I can't tell you how much I love pebbles in my work mm-hmm. <laughs> of just call the pebble forward, the pebble that loves you, that knows you, that's here to protect you, which I know initially starting off with clients, they're like, what is a pebble going to do? <laughs> um, but it's like, just, just breathe with your pebble. I promise yeah, give it a it's it not try. logically. Yeah, just no one hates pebbles here. They're wonderful. They're, They're always safe. yeah,
0: like neutral, very accessible. neutral.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Flowers are also a big deal in this work, but I can get into that later too. So, okay. <laughs> With that said, the next resource we got here, another resource we use in this model is what we call grids. So, what the grid is, and there's a bunch of different grids you can do. The most I or the most common grids I use are either. Body grounded grids or light grids. So the uh, body grounded grids—that's where you find six points in your body where you feel uh, solid, present, grounded, and we just connect six of those points together with an energy exit point in the middle, and that way you have something locked into your body that keeps you grounded in the present moment versus, you know, getting flooded and going back to when the traumatic memory happens. Mm-hmm. So the grid is all about keeping the body grounded in the present moment. Uh, The light grid, I really like using the light grid when I work with clients around certain issues like nightmares or anything Mm. like that of just, okay, so breathing into the body, where on the body is there light? And then later on in the grid, so where in the body is there the light that is you? I find that resourcing just really, I mean, it kind of distracts the brain in a sense, that's where I really like the grid. It just keeps you in the present moment and it distracts you a little bit from the distress or grounds you from the distress. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So then after grids, we've got attachment resourcing. So exactly what I already mentioned before with sacred place and this piece of work. Well, there's two ways to go about attachment resourcing. The first way I always go with clients, especially for processing with a new part. Uh, I'll ask the part to, you know, call forward, invite forward the animal, sacred being or thing of nature for their highest healing good or I'll use specific wording around the, the target issue we're going into for that kind mm-hmm. of specific resourcing animal or, or just attachment figure. Um,
0: Inter- really, wait, let really me, let me yeah, ask go ahead. Here.
1: So re- <laughs> resourcing animal, would
0: this be like an animal that someone feels basically like a deep emotional or spiritual connection with, or an animal that kind of like symbolizes healing energy for somebody?
1: It it really depends. It really depends. Um, So the number one, what we don't do is we don't use pets in this work. Um, Mm. And it's always like, because I've had, I've worked with a lot of clients where like their dog from when their childhood comes up when we do some resourcing and it's just like, oh, and Skippy is such a good dog, but also too, what happened to Skippy? Skippy died and then the grief comes up and it's just like, okay, Mm -hmm. so we can have the presence of Skippy here. But then there's the grief associated with him. Right? Right. And it's just it just becomes a concern of just, is he going to be able to resource you right now? Or is he going to pull you somewhere else that might be actually safer to feel, kind of distract you in a sense, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So we don't do pets or anything like that. And it's, I mean, I have just worked with clients through that grief initially too. because I do find that work can still be helpful, especially if there's any guilt around the grief. Um, but overall, we do avoid pets, but we do go towards, When we do attachment resourcing, we really just say, call forward in the the first animal you see, like, don't think, don't choose, listen to the body, notice what's revealed. So we do in this work is we really try to work against the cognitive, you know, kind of choosing and picking. Mm -hmm. Well, I would really like a polar bear right now. Right. Well, that's good for you. But what does this part of you actually need? Right. Mm -hmm. Because I've seen like common animals that come up where clients are like, I don't want this animal are like snakes, bats, like sharks, mm, <laughs> um, Yeah, you know, some of those more what we call like aggressive or scary animals. Mm-hmm. And in and, and my work with when I actually can work with the clients to connect and bond with those animals, those are some of the most protective animals for clients to have, especially to an animal like a snake or a shark. Talk about wisdom that mm-hmm. the animal brings with them, right? So that's what we do for attachment-wise. And then okay. when I mention sacred beings too, that totally just depends on the client's belief system. That's another piece about this model I really enjoy. We get to work with the client's belief system. Yeah. Um, so for some of my clients, that might be, you know, different Christian figures or, you know, Christianity figures. For other clients, it might be, I just get exposed to a lot of different religions, I should say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, really cool to hear those uh, like sacred beings come up to help with processing because they are really cool attachment figures, especially when I'm dealing with like little, little parts, like Mm -hmm. under five year old parts of of the the client. So that's a really fun piece there, too, for the attachment resourcing. And the last piece I wanted to mention here, too, with attachments, um, my end goal and really if you work with CRM, this should be the end goal of every processing session It is critical to attach the adult self. So that's the current day self of the client to the wounded ego state. So when I go through processing with clients at the end of it, if there's enough time, what I love to do is just, okay, so look, look, look into the five-year-old's eyes,
0: Mm -hmm. see how
1: much she did today. Just love her, appreciate her. If she's comfortable with it, just hold her close. Let her hear your heart beating. That attachment piece there at the end, or if you can't do the adult self to the ego state just directly in the beginning, yep, that's really powerful because then the adult self just is empowered. They know what to do. They understand why, you know, what happened to the little one, why choices Um, were made by the little one and just kind of just creates a new relationship going forward just within self. Yes, that work is so
0: powerful. And I mean, it seems like there's what's interesting to me about these modalities is all the overlap, because I mean, I'm hearing, Mm -hmm. I'm hearing like parts (laughs) parts work, you know, internal family, everybody. I'm hearing, you know, some EMDR, like there's so much overlap. And I think that exercise in particular of kind of having the present day adult self be able to witness and, and like, Mm -hmm. and love on those wounded younger parts. what, What I found is so powerful about it is that, you know, one, um, for people with complex trauma that kind of spent their whole lives feeling like unseen, invalidated, yeah. alone in that trauma. It's like this witnessing thing that's mm-hmm. really preparing, which is literally mm-hmm. to just feel seen and to like look at that part and be like, I exactly. see you and I like hear you is so moving. And then it also then builds hear. that self-compassion, yeah. you know, piece mm-hmm. of to love on the younger parts of us that often are are
1: shamed and isolated. Yeah. And talk about shame melting too, because I have a lot of clients, you know, there's a bunch of different defense responses to trauma, right? you be at addictive behaviors or things outside of addictions. And so much shame can build up from that. Yes. And having clients be able to understand the actual route that led to the need of the addiction or whatever the, the defense response is, it, they just get a different experience too with the defense response of You did what you could, you did what you could to help us survive. And we survived. Thank you. That piece is super, super powerful.
0: Oh my gosh. Yes. I feel like that is, (laughs) that's like the first place that I go with most of my clients is because, you know, people, Mm -hmm. come in, they come into therapy with these different often like defenses that they're wanting to work on. Right. They're like, I want to work on the anxiety or the addictive behavior Mm -hmm. or the different Mm -hmm. attachment defenses or these kinds of things. And so I'm always really aware of like, we don't want to heal those things from a place of shame. Like we don't want to go in and be like, oh, let's fix this broken part of you. Um, And instead we want to be like, we love what this part has done for you. And now we get to kind yeah. of update it and evolve it and like bring it into the present. So yeah. I always start there. Um, and I, I was introduced in coherence therapy, they call it the pro-symptom approach, where we're like, let's yeah. take these symptoms and actually like super appreciate how necessary and you know helpful And yes.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's so funny because a big piece, like if you do training in this model, like Lisa, again, the founder of the model, she's very big. She's like, do not allow the defense responses to get reinforced. Like, Mm -hmm. so exactly what you're saying here with shame, like do not allow shame to become reinforced. Work with the part that holds the shame. Understand the defense that the shame holds. What does the shame protect the client from really seeing and connecting to? Mm It's like, of course. Yeah. We don't want to co sign the shame. I mean, it's, we don't want to disregard the shame, too. Right, right. Delicate rope yeah. here. <laughs> yes. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think I, protector. Yeah. I think
0: I interjected before you got through all the resources, too, because this is so, yeah, so
1: exciting to hear about. So we, we were on attachment resourcing. So the next one we have here is the distress resource. Okay. And this one, I, when I tell my clients that distress can be a resource, they just look at me like, what in the hell are you saying? Mm. <laughs> so, what we do with distress resourcing, we do a somatic attunement and somatic attunement in this work looks like, okay, so breathe, breathe, breathe into the body. Notice where in the body. Let's say we're working with terror. Where's terror the strongest in the body? Oh, geez. I really feel it in my chest. I can feel my heart beating so, 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 so fast. Okay. Breathe above around through the sensation in the chest, breathe above around through the terror there. Now notice and observe the color, the shape, the size, the texture, the temperature of it. Hmm. Obviously when I'm working with client in session, I go much slower than that. Of course. Yeah. Way too many questions at once. And then I ask too, you know, is it familiar? Is it unfamiliar? Is it in or on the body? Does it make a sound? Is it silent? Does it move? Is it still, or is it vibrating? So we actually get the client to see what the distress is. And it's so interesting because whenever I do this, like a client will report they're like an eight out of 10 on like the SUD scale. Mm -hmm. And then when, as soon as we start the somatic attunement, they get down to like a six because now they see what it is exactly. Mm -hmm. And it's not as scary as it used to be before it was unknown and uncertain.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. So do there too is um, we'll resource with the distress. We'll have them connect with the distress, create, and we can get into eye positions later because we also use eye positions in this Mm -hmm. model, Uh, but we anchor with the distress. And what we do with that is we can have, so for example, we'll use like the attachment eye position and the distress eye position. So if we're asking a client to go into the distress, okay, and we don't oftentimes do this. We usually do it on the resource eye position, but sometimes for bigger issues, we've all go to the distress eye position. So for processing, breathe, breathe, breathe in, go into the body, feel the body, feel the sensation, feel the tear in your chest, breathe into it. Now, keep your eyes on the distress eye position. And when the client hits a limit where it's too much, it's too scary. It's, I can't go any further. Go back to the resourcing eye position, Mm -hmm. breathe with your resource. Feel the love, the support, the protection. Tell them how scary this is. Hear what they have to say. Hear their wisdom. Slowing down. And then once they regulate more, and then they tell me, I'm ready to go back. Okay, back to the distress eye position. Breathe, breathe, breathe through. Move through it slow, slow, slow. Like you're moving through honey. Move through mm-hmm. it slow, slow, slow. So that's how we can use the distress eye position. Um, one of my favorites, I I, want to say it was Lisa who said this, she said that distress is the catalyst for reconnection. Hmm. And that's, that's where I think it becomes a resource in this work is that, yes, it is so scary and overwhelming and unknown and just absolutely frightening. But if you can process through this, if you can feel through this, the end that you're the the end goal that you're going to get to here is this part is going to be finally free of this. Yeah, And they get to come back. They get to integrate. They get to just come back home in the body, in a sense. Mm-hmm. That's where distress as a resource is really interesting, especially when I reframe it yeah. with This distress is your catalyst for reconnection. The cost is the distress. The benefit, though, is that reconnection.
0: Right, right. You said the, the SUD scale. Can you define that for everybody?
1: Absolutely. So the SUD scale is the subjective units of distress. So I do a scale from zero to 10 Zero being absolutely no activation, no distress in the body. Ten being, that is my limit. That is my window. There's, I cannot tolerate anymore. This is overwhelming. I'm probably experiencing flooding, flashbacks, all that horrible stuff. Um, and. Clients rarely, rarely, rarely get to attend because, I mean, as you've heard, the other five resources before this point, a lot of neurobiological safety is created, but that's the scale that I use. So I'll just check in with clients periodically of just, where's your suds? Where's the distress, zero to 10? Mm -hmm. And that just helps me to kind of figure out where they are in the traumatic memory, because that's actually one of my favorite pieces about this model. I've processed, or I've gone into uh, processing sessions with clients where I have no idea what was processed. A big piece was processed, but I have no damn idea what it was. Hmm. Uh, And what I think is so unique about that is I don't actually have to know the trauma that was processed in a sense. Like clients don't have to tell me if they don't want to. And I think that's just... Really empowering for them, and usually after processing, once the the activation of the memory is gone, usually they are very open about it. But beforehand, just with some of the memories I've heard clients later on share, it's like I understand why you wanted to just keep this inside for a little bit, internally resolve it before you know externally being witnessed here.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when you were describing. It sounds almost like it's a practice of going into the distress, you know, connecting with it and feeling mm-hmm. it. But then when it gets to that tipping point where it's going to turn into flooding or overwhelm mm-hmm. or, or shutdown, there's almost like a pendulation where then you're, you're kind of swinging back into these other safety resources, the, re- the, the deep breathing, the imagery. And I, it's, you know, just cause I'm continuing to draw attention to the overlaps between these different yeah. modalities. That's also <laughs> like a big somatic experiencing mm-hmm. technique is the pendulation where it's like, okay, we're going to feel the distress, but then we're going to have these safety resources that we can go back to. Exactly. And I, I think what exactly. that does for our, our body and our brains is it builds up a sense of like, oh, I can touch this distressing material. Exactly. Like I, can, I can be in this pain and I'm not going to get stuck there. Cause that's the fear yeah. I think so many people have and and why there's so much avoidance mm-hmm. around, you know, the trauma and the distress is it's like, if I let myself feel this, am I going to get trapped in there? You know, am I going to drown yeah. in it? Um, and I found yeah. that especially with complex trauma where the nature of the trauma is that it was so chronic and, and repeating and enduring mm-hmm. often there will be this feeling or this defense. That's like, I can't go back there. Like I can't, um, I can't tolerate mm-hmm. feeling, feeling trapped in that again. And so yeah. um, that's just what was coming up for me listening to you is it's a way of being like, we can feel this and yeah. not get trapped In it right.
1: Exactly. Exactly. It's, I mean, if you look at how this model works with like an actual processing session, it's literally resourcing distress, resourcing, distress, resourcing, distress, 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 resourcing, 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 Mm -hmm. and processed. (laughs) So it's really just going through like the waves of just trauma healing in a sense, of it's going to be really scary, and then you're going to get resourced and it's going to feel safer. And then you're going to see. I can go deeper. I can get through this. Mm-hmm. And so exactly what you said though, just to reflect back, it's it's so important clients do get that exposure to not only I won't get stuck in this, but also too, I will survive this. I yes. already have survived this. This is just neurons firing. I'm yes. creating a new rewiring here. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, that's absolutely true. <laughs> yeah,
0: so cool. Yeah. Okay. And then what, what's next? Last,
1: last resource here. I know there's. As I mentioned, comprehensive resource model is not joking around. <laughs> it is comprehensive. <laughs> it, as comprehensive as comprehensive can be, right? So the last resource, and not the last resources, because of course, too, there's so many others we use that aren't mentioned here. But the last resource, the, or actually, how do I phrase this? So the most impactful resource that I just love helping clients gain access to in this model is the resource of core self. And what core self is, in a very like quick nutshell, of course, it's more complex and nuanced than this, but what core self is, is essentially the, not the part of us, because it's not an ego state, but it's like the essence of us that always knew who we are, who we were, and where we're supposed to be, and where mm. we're supposed to go, in a sense. So it's the part of us that has always been, but was obscured in life with, you know, different just adversity, traumas, whatever happened to us, it obscured us, it derailed us from our core self, our true self, you know, who we have always been meant to be. Um, And that resource in this work is, it's just one of the most powerful. Um, And it's, especially too, with my clients that I work with, with DID, um, core self is especially just, I mean, to have not just the, the host or the executive of the system to touch into core self, but to have all of the alters, all of the parts connect with core self. It's Mm -hmm. a really, really beautiful process. So core self is, in a sense, a a, a big kind of goal that we work towards in this model with our clients who want to access it, of just remembering who you really are, not what happened to you, though that's important to remember, but to remember who you are Mm -hmm. and to feel that sense of just, you know, just to feel that sense of who you are throughout your lifespan because that's common too. And we do experience trauma. We do have to dissociate. We do have to separate from what is happening to us or not happening to us, but should have, right? Right. We have to separate in order to survive. And with that, we lose that connection to core self. We lose that sense of who we are and that who we are is good enough, is lovable, and and can just be a really powerful neutral sense too of just Mm. what is acceptance. So yeah, that's core self. Um, one of my favorite, favorite uh, resources in this model is Core Self. Super powerful, super helpful, yeah. especially for resourcing.
0: Yeah, really cool. Okay. Thank you so much. I mean, already I feel yeah. like there's so much for us to, to explore there. Dive into. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. So, okay. So when you're meeting with a client, is there mm-hmm. kind of a clear starting point with this process or does the starting point kind of depend on the client and, and the symptoms they're experiencing? Like where, yeah. where do you first, yeah. you know, get this ball rolling? Kind of
1: dive in. Yeah. So the biggest, so the, the biggest kind of uh, division in how I work with clients is actually based on uh, OSDD and DID versus non-highly uh, highly dissociative clients. If I'm working with somebody who has, sorry, other specified dis- uh, dissociative disorders or dissociative identity disorder, I work with them in a very similar way, but um, a much, much slower way. So there's a lot more resourcing I do with them versus my clients mm-hmm. who do not have those diagnoses. So just to, because that's a whole conversation there, just to look at my clients without, you know, OSDD and DID, when I work with them, it is pretty much a a very similar kind of pool I jump into with them, if you will, Mm -hmm. where in the intake session, I ask thematic questions, I ask about relationship to self, I ask about the defense responses, though I don't ask about defense responses, (laughs) I ask about very specifically, like, you know, any you know, substance use, you're concerned about any history with self-harm, any history with eating disorders. Mm -hmm. So ask those kinds of questions just to assess where they are there. Um, Also suicidal ideation. I work with a lot, a lot, a lot of people who experience suicidal ideation. I do think it's really common with complex trauma. So I also, I also assess that one. Um, and again, I do frame that as a defense response, and I can get into mapping later because that's another interesting kind of intervention we use in this work. But after I do my intake with clients, just assessing, you know, where they are somatically in their body, assessing their relationship to themselves and to their body, assessing to how they understand the like, are they willing to do the homework of this model? And the homework of this model is just meditating, you know, really ingraining the resources outside of session. Mm -hmm. So they're more robust when we go into session together. Um, So I assess all of that with them and that pretty much determines where I go next. (laughs) Okay. But Mm -hmm. after after I do the initial intake, my next big piece with clients is to actually go over, and I'm really thorough with this with clients, probably more so than the founder would recommend, but I go over the full neurobiology of this model So I talk about what exactly we are doing on a neurological, neurobiological level with clients. So especially my intellectual clients, they understand (laughs) what we're doing, where we're going and why it's important. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I'm, yeah, go ahead, sorry. Oh no,
0: you're good. I was just, I think it's funny you mentioned that. Cause I, I've found the exact same thing with, you know, some clients yeah. are like, I don't really need to know the ins and outs of how it works. Mm-hmm. Like as long as it works, you know, let's just do it. Exactly. Um, but the clients yeah. that are more kind of analytical intellectualizing mm-hmm. will spend a while kind of doing the psychoeducation. <laughs> and I think what's interesting about these models too, is that when you don't know the neurobiology of it, some of it sounds a little out there, right? Like some of it is, you Theory know, when we look there. at like yeah. IFS and some of these different things, it's like, what? Like, like, is this really, you know, um, kind of evidence-based or is this like a, a weird, you know? I've I've gotten comments like that from people. Like this sounds yeah. kind of woo-woo, or you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And so going yeah. over the fact that yeah, it's it's crazy, but our brains actually respond to these different things like imagery, ima- imagination exactly. exercises, like yeah. so, um, yeah, doing laying that foundation of kind of okay, here's the neurobiology, and and now we can try all these exercises that maybe would Uh, would seem a little bit weird, you know,
1: without that. Like actually... Yeah. Like let's, let's understand what this is. Cause I know like when I talk to clients about, okay, we're going to make a body grid They look at me like, what the hell is a body grid When I say, you know, what's the sacred being that you'd like to attach to or not like to attach to but who is the sacred being who is needed for this work? They're like sacred being, what are you talking about? And it's just like, I understand. I understand. I'm an atheist. I get it. (laughs) Please just kind of work with me here. It's the neurobiology. Your cognitive brain, I understand, doesn't like this, but you're you know, the more emotional parts of your brain, they need this. Mm -hmm. So so I go over the neurobiology and just overall too, I just find it even without, even, you know, not just doing it with my intellectualizing clients, just overall with clients, just to understand what happens in their brain and that it's not their fault. I can't tell you how many clients have left those sessions tearful of just Mm -hmm. understanding. This is just literally how my brain had to function to survive. Like it wasn't a choice. It wasn't cognitive. It wasn't. I didn't choose to, you know, feel this way and do these things to cope with how I feel yes. about all of this. So I find that really impactful too. Of just understanding, just deep down in the brain, that's what's happening, and I I can't blame myself for that anymore. Yeah, that's another piece for the neurobiology that I think is so important of just understanding. This is how your brain has just evolved to best protect you as possible. And especially actually for my clients with DID, super important to understand that of just yes. I mean, it is the what created your system is so tragic, but the fact your system is here is the biggest gift. Yeah, not the not the trauma that happened to you. That was absolutely tragic. The fact that your system exists, though, that is the biggest yeah. gift internally.
0: Yeah, that your brain adapted in the best possible yeah. way, you know, to help you yeah. survive and navigate. And it can just build this, yeah, again, with the shame, mm-hmm. the shame melting, you know, and I think shame is mm-hmm. such a, a deep root <laughs> yeah. of complex trauma. And so, yeah, feel, you know, yeah. shifting that perspective where instead of it being like, I'm fucked up, you know, my brain doesn't mm-hmm. work, like, no, your brain actually works really well. Exactly. You know? it,
1: it, Exactly how it's supposed to actually. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Actually, there is no other option for your brain to function. And it's, I mean, not to say that those certain defense responses aren't, you know, can't get in the way sometimes and can't be really frustrating sometimes. But oh boy, if you didn't have this, you know, what else could have been here in Mm -hmm. a sense. So that's, that's the neurobiology. I like to go over that with clients, with clients that are like, okay, I get it. I get it. The amygdala, the, you know, periaqueductal gray, I get it. Can we hurry up here? <laughs> like, okay, just real quick. Here's what it is. And here's how we resolve it. Yeah. Um, so after that, what I do with clients is I'll go through the, the sacred place, um, just, you know, meditation with them. And if there's time to actually I treat, I teach the, the, the breathing techniques first, then sacred place. Um, And then I follow that up with what we call the power animal journey. So that's Mm -hmm. the attachment piece there, where again, call forward the animal or sacred being, but this animal specifically, or sacred being in in specific here is actually meant for the whole trauma journey. Mm -hmm. So this is a specific resource for the uh, adult self, the current day self, where they will always have to lean into, um, no matter what's happening, no matter what's going on, that resource is always available for them. So that's what I do next with them. And those two techniques, the sacred place and the power animal journey, those are really helpful. And just identifying too with sacred place, are they able to feel any point of groundedness in their body Mm -hmm. or is there a block to groundedness in the body, which is not uncommon. It's actually really, really common for, for clients with complex trauma.
0: Yes. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I love that you bring that up actually because my next question was going to be with this kind of model. How do you work with blocks or what a lot of you know people might call resistance, right? When it's like, oh, I I can't get in touch with that, or you know, sometimes I've seen clients have an experience where it's like they'll Mm -hmm. start to get a little a little hint of feeling something, like they'll kind of get their toes in, and then a defense will kick in, and it's like, oh, my emotions just totally shut off, you know. So yeah, what does that look like?
1: And they're gone. Yeah. Yeah. So what I do there. So we do obstacle work in this model, too, obviously, because you can't not do that. <laughs> um, and I got to tell you, because I, I saw, too, recently, it looked like you uploaded a video of just, like, therapists who label their clients as, like, resistant to therapy. Mm-hmm. It's like, are they resistant or are they just not resource, or are they just yes. missing something they need to actually go deeper? Yes. right? Or is there a purpose to the quote-unquote resistance? right Mm -hmm. so what I do with clients there and clients always get frustrated because they're like damn it I really wanted to process this all today and it's just well we actually found something really important here that needs our attention first and what I tell clients too and they don't believe me initially (laughs) what I tell clients is obstacles to healing are actually gold mines of information where yeah, yeah we could process through a memory we could process through the traumatic affect of it but if we're missing an important piece of it, being the defense, being the obstacle, being the block to it, we're missing critical, critical information, not just about what we're targeting here, but perhaps about the larger picture, in a sense, right? And how this defense is related to other parts in the system. So when blocks come up, to actually answer your question now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When, when blocks come up in this work, what we do is we can do some obstacle work, which is understanding, you know, what's causing the block, what's the need of the block. Um, so with that, when I work with blocks, I'll oftentimes just understand, you know, okay, so I see this client is processing this traumatic memory. You came up, you know, in this block or as this block, can you help me understand what's the biggest fear about going through this? What's yes. the biggest fear about remembering this? What's the big, or what's the worst case scenario about remembering this? And sometimes with blocks, um, and just different defense responses that can come up. Sometimes they're just really afraid. If this is processed, I'm no longer needed. I'm going to die. Mm. And I see that a lot with my clients with DID especially. So what I really do then is it's just, you know, me and the, the the part that's blocking the processing, we just talk about how that's actually never the goal of this work. You were created for a reason. You are needed here for a reason. Regardless if the defense response, you know, the actual behavior is here or not, That doesn't mean your existence goes away. So I actually will work with the blocks in that case of just understanding, okay, so this is what you do to protect in this way. Is there a different way you can help protect the client, the part, the system? Um, And that way too, those parts get to see there's actually so much more to their existence versus like the very specific neural circuit (laughs) that they're like locked into in a sense. So that's one way to go about blocks. Sometimes the blocks themselves actually need to be processed. So with that, I will actually do processing with the block of, okay, actually, I see there's actually a traumatic root within you. Yeah. And of course we can't do this other traumatic root that's actually deeper in a sense, right? So no, you're right. We have to start with you. And thank you so much for stepping forward and letting this be known. This needed to be known and you have the courage to do that. Thank you. So that's where I'll actually step into processing with them. And let me stop here again.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, this is so good. I I think you brought up a couple of things here that are are super pivotal, pivotal in my experience as well. So that question of like, what's the biggest fear if we go here, Mm -hmm. you know, I think is Mm -hmm. so important and, um, in coherence therapy, which is one of the, the, um, modalities that I've been getting trained in and learning about a lot recently, we, uh, they use this technique called overt statements where they have you Mm -hmm. basically kind of really step into, um, Um, the creator calls it limbic language, which is like the language of your limbic system. Um, and sometimes the, the limbic language, so to speak around resistance, you know, quote unquote resistance Mm -hmm. is like, I cannot possibly feel this. It's going to, you know, destroy me, destabilize me. It's going to hurt too much, you know, kind of back to that, like fear of, of going to those really painful places. And so I found that spending some real time empathizing with that, you know, is so important. And instead of trying to like mm-hmm. push past to those defenses, it's like, no, let's really spend some time getting to know this defense empathizing yeah. with this defense. And sometimes even having a client, um, you know, say out loud or, or visualize saying to someone like, I can't possibly yeah. step into this feeling, you know, even just yeah. saying that will elicit a lot of processing. Just the so.
1: acknowledgement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, just the acknowledgement. And it's, what's really cool too about some defense responses is sometimes they're actually needed for the processing. Like they are needed to see what did create them. Cause sometimes they're even dissociated from that of just, well, this is my job and this is the only job I know what to do. And I'm just going to keep doing it. And when this other part feels this way, I know I got to kick in and do this job. And it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, so let's slow down. Yeah. (laughs) Let's understand this, right. Let's slow this down and let's just also, too, let's have you part of this processing if you're needed to be here, if you're needing to if yeah. you if you need to witness this. Yeah. And then that way too, it just adds another layer of that witnessing. Cause that is just attachment-wise too. Witnessing yeah. is huge, 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 huge. I so oftentimes huge. tell my clients, like the oftentimes the most painful part of trauma. It's not even necessarily what happened to us. That's a really important big piece. It's also, too, that we were completely alone in the devastation, yes. the betrayal, the pain, the terror, the shame, the disgust, the, the panic of it all. We were absolutely alone in that. Yeah. No one was there to protect, to love us. And that's where this model is different because it does create that protector. It does create that love. So again, you actually get to feel through what happened to you in a cohesive way. Right.
0: Right. With those resources that, that were Mm -hmm. not there before. Yeah. And then when you were talking about kind of, um, the fear of like, oh, but if I process this, like what, you know, what will happen with this part, you know, this defense, mm-hmm. um, it was making me think about the, un I think they call it unburdening and IFS okay, or internal yeah. family systems, which is kind of the same idea that like, okay, once we've really listened to a part and we've really gotten mm-hmm. to know, like, okay, this is my job. This is what I do. This is how I adapted and how I developed, you know, we're never trying to get rid of, or, you know, banish different parts of ourselves, but we can update mm-hmm. like what their job is for us. And so there can kind so- of be this question in IFS, which is like, okay, what do you want your new job to be? You know, like exactly <laughs> this, this hypervigilant part, for example, you know, if you're mm-hmm. not constantly in a hypervigilant state, you know, what, what else can you do to create safety and to create protection? And so
1: I just exactly. love that you, you touched on that as well. Yeah. And we'll look at you at like the age of the part Cause sometimes there's like really young adultified parts or really young defense response parts. And I'll just have a real direct conversation with the adult self of, look at this three-year-old part. She's running the show here. Mm-hmm. She doesn't get to be a three-year-old. She doesn't get to do what three-year-olds do. Mm-hmm. And so another piece of that too, is they'll actually ask the part just, if you didn't have to do this job, hypothetically speaking, if you didn't have to do this job, what would your dream be? Who yes. would you want to be? Where would you want to go? What would you want to do? And that way I just get to assess, I mean, I get to assess one, what was missing, because usually what the dream is, is what they were lacking, what was missing. Mm-hmm. And also, too, I get to open up the possibility or plant the seed of the possibility that maybe there is more to your existence than just this one job. Right. And yeah. especially for the younger parts, especially like adultified parts. Having them see that there's actually more to them and that they can actually have the childhoods they never got, mm-hmm. that can be a really powerful piece for both the adult self to one, take that responsibility and accountability, and two, for that younger part to see there's an adult self here. Yeah. Finally, the adult we needed is here. Yeah. And I'm gonna go play like tic-tac-toe, I right. get to go play hopscotch. I'm gonna go make friends in the system. Mm-hmm. i get to go live my life now and that's yes. just another really and that's where again i really love working with blocks yeah <laughs> especially yes. too when you can actually negotiate with the blocks of just okay here this is really scared sorry not even the blocks but like the defense responses okay mm-hmm. so i hear this is what you need to do to feel safe but also too i hear the impact this has not just on the adult self but other parts of the system where somewhere we can meet in the middle
0: mm-hmm. right
1: mm-hmm. if you need to do this right now i'm not going to take that away from you i can't take that away from you actually where somewhere that you and the adult self can meet in the middle that feels okay and safe for both of you. And that kind of internal communication and internal cooperation is so, so important. Yeah. So important, especially with defense responses.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so cool. Okay. So with the time that we have, I want to pivot yes. a little bit and talk about, so you also do EFT, which is yes. um, something that was, I, I was it developed to work with couples or tell me a little yes. bit more about that?
1: Yeah. So, oh man, I could just talk forever about Dr. Sue Johnson. So Dr. Sue Johnson is the founder of Emotionally Focused Couple Therapy. Um, she, when she was in uh, grad school. Uh, I believe she was working under Les Greenberg or whoever the founder is of emotion focused therapy. Mm-hmm. She was working under them and she ended up working with couples and at the time, there were not a lot of effective couple modalities. Like mm-hmm. it was what are the thoughts around this? What communication skills can we learn? What you know uh, uh, like negotiation skills is the couple missing? which would temporarily solve problems, but would never have long-term impact. So what Sue Johnson did when she was in grad school uh, is she formulated essentially emotionally couples, uh, sorry, emotionally focused couple therapy. So what she realized when she was working with couples is there's this whole other piece that's not being explored with them where the couple is arguing about the dishes, but Sue Johnson noticed this isn't about the dishes. Like it's about the dishes, but also has nothing to do with the dishes. So what Sue Johnson did is she actually, she discovered uh, or not discovered, obviously she didn't discover attachment theory, but she actually brought, she blended, you know, emotion research with attachment theory research Mm. and just the correlation, not the correlation, but the the connection between the two. Yeah. How our attachment needs, fears and longings feed our different emotions that we feel and how the different emotions we feel also impact our attachment needs fears and longings. Mm-hmm. So that's when she shifted her work to actually understand what's the actually the actual root of the distress with couples coming in, right? Like what actually motivates, you know, the the anxious pursuit or the, you know, the shutdown withdrawing. <clears throat> so she wanted to understand those cycles instead, those interactional patterns instead of Let's learn communication skills. Right. Let's learn how to negotiate. Because again, that's, that's not going deep into the issue. And if the issue yeah. isn't actually acknowledged and addressed and and just experientially felt by both partners, it won't actually shift, is yeah. what she found. So that's yeah. <laughs> just a real quick synopsis there of, of just how EFT came to be, at least from my understanding, too. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's how Sue Johnson put it together in grad school. Very Honorable. cool.
0: Yeah. So I, I want to ask you a little more about kind of what you've noticed working with couples with complex trauma and like how mm-hmm. you kind of, but before that you, you said experientially, and I realized I kind of forgot at the beginning to, to just give yeah. a definition of experiential. So, oh. um, this is going to be something that we're kind of, I'm going to just ask all of my guests this, cause I love to hear how different people kind of explain this, but what yeah. is experiential therapy and what is the difference between like talking about skills or learning skills, like you were saying, versus yeah. like
1: going to that experiential level. Yeah. What does that mean? I feel like experiential therapy and just modalities and interventions—it's so hard to define because you you have to feel it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's the difficult piece because it's like, how do I operationally define you know that that kind of piece there? But you know, just to touch on that, I have found in my work that experience is the best teacher. Yeah. That I can talk to clients till they're blue in the face about different things, but until they feel what we're actually talking about. It doesn't have the same impact on them as if we just talk about it. Like there, in my experience, there is a limit to talking about things. Yeah. It can only go so far versus the experiential piece, especially too if we're hacking into those like attachment, the attachment system of the brain. I mean, I can talk to clients again until they're blue in the face. Yeah. But if they have an experience where oxytocin is released, where you know, different just really good neurochemicals are released in their brain. There's nothing that can replace that. So when it comes to experiential therapy, for me, it's just the experience is the tool. It is the teacher. It's what the client needs to actually have what we call, you know, an emotionally corrective experience. Yes. Right. Yes. So, so, and that's not necessarily the most cohesive definition of experiential therapy. I'm sure there's researchers that could do much better, but no, I mean, in a
0: sense, yeah. Yeah, you touched on it's it's funny because whenever I'm trying to define it too, I'm like, well, experiential means that you have an experience, you know. But, <laughs> but it is, it's it's about having an experience. And one of the ways I've heard it defined is um, instead of talking about, you talk mm-hmm. from within, right? Exactly. So instead of yeah. like, oh, let me talk about my attachment experiences, kind of like, you know, the experiences are over there and I'm I'm looking at them from a it. distance. It's like, mm-hmm. what does it feel like to actually be in this experience? In it, and that can body. be, you know, somatic, the somatic piece. It can be just really feeling the emotions. Um, yeah. yeah, it's about being within the experience. And so I think even getting clients uh, into an experiential place, at least for me, that's where I noticed you know, blocks and defenses for showing up because mm-hmm. that, that intellectualizing that talking about is often a much yeah. safer, more comfortable zone to be in. It's the and best so place to
1: be. It's yeah. super,
0: super comfy, <laughs> you know? And so, um, yeah. even just that shift of like, okay, let's, let's go into an experience. Often yeah. I'll find there's a lot of work that needs to be done to help oh, resource yeah. a client for that. Cause it's intense. It's intense to have oh, experiences,
1: yeah. right? Yeah. Or, and just the fear too, of what is it, this is the exact same experience as before. I see that with mm. my couples and with my individual clients of it's too risky. It's, it's too scary. It's too risky to do this. Mm. And it's like, okay, you know, in, in uh, CRM, I'm going to do mapping or obstacle work. And then with, with EFT, I'm going to what we call slice the wrist thinner of, okay, mm. so it's too scary to tell your partner this. What do you think it would be like to tell them this? Right. And usually they'll say, I'm just really scared. I'm not too sure if I can trust them with this part of me yet. Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's stay there. Can you tell them that instead? Yeah. And that's a really powerful place, too, of just one, seeing the client where they are, not forcing them to go deeper when it's not safe enough, and letting their partner see where they are, letting their partner experience that with them of, oh my gosh, I did something that that made you feel so unsafe with me that it's too scary to share. Mm -hmm. That's heartbreaking to hear. And that for the other person is, oh, you see my pain and my pain matters to you. Yeah. Yeah. I feel safer now. Right. 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 I thought you would just roll your eyes again or would make a joke or would, you know, dismiss me. No, now I see you're connected here with me. You see me here that I don't even want to be vulnerable and you accept me there. Yeah. So that's, that's where EFT is really cool too. <laughs> yes. So I'm, I'm going
0: to just assume that because of the, the couple's work and the complex trauma work that you have done quite a bit of helping couples kind of navigate, um, attachment defenses showing up in the relationship, whether that's, I guess, oh, yeah. kind of what we consider like the typical anxious, avoidant, like pursue mm-hmm. with withdrawal dynamic, or, I mean, I think yeah. a lot of other ways that our attachment wounds and attachment defenses yeah. can attachment show injuries. up. So yeah. What is yeah. that? I mean, I, I'm, sure sure that's like a huge question, but talk a little bit about just what that looks like in, in the couple's work.
1: So when I work with clients with trauma, uh, I most oftentimes have worked with a couple where one client does have trauma, the other doesn't. Mm. One of the first things I actually have to start with, with both of them, is oftentimes I've heard my, the, the partner with trauma say, there's no way they'll understand this. There's, they've never experienced anything like this. They'll never mm. get me. They'll never see me there. And I just have to slow down with them and and just you know, kind of acknowledge just, I mean, actually just look at the statement, right? Just because Mm -hmm. this person hasn't been as hurt, abused, neglected as I am, they can't feel with me. Like, what does that Mm -hmm. feel like to say about yourself? Right. What does that say about you? If that's true, Mm -hmm. right. Where, you know, secure, healthy or whatever individuals, they'll never get me. They'll never understand me. Mm -hmm. Like, what is that? What really, what does that say about you more so than them? And understanding too, just how emotions work, how attachment works, they don't need that experience to see your pain and for it to so deeply matter to them and impact them where they want to touch it with you. They want to be there with you. They want to make sure you're never alone there again, right? Mm -hmm. And then on the other side, because then I have the the non-traumatized client tell me, I'm really scared. What if I don't get it? What if I don't understand? Why it's so deep and I get freaked out? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) confirming the you know the client with traumas fear there and i just work with them through kind of the same thing of just let's just slow that down what would it mean to you if you couldn't understand them and then i actually just then explore their fears with them of just if i don't understand them they're going to be alone and no one they're just who will actually see them who will actually love them in that place that they feel so unlovable Mm -hmm. and then i get both clients to talk about it together of just i'm so scared you won't see me you won't understand me And also too, for the other person, I'm so scared you're going to be alone there forever that no one will see you there and will bring love and joy and just, you know, melt the shame with you in a sense, Mm. right? Mm. That's a really powerful way to start with couples where, you know, one does have trauma the other doesn't is understanding, you know, both of you have the capacity to empathize and understand each other, to be with each other. Um, It just might look a little bit different for couples without trauma. Right. And with that said, too, with EFT, a really important point I want to touch on, because in with couples work, couple therapists will usually have a policy around secrets. Um, I hold a no secrets policy. And what that means is, is if information is shared with me about the relationship or would impact the relationship by either partner individually or in the couple, Mm -hmm. it has to be shared. It has to be known. I will not be triangulated (laughs) into a secret, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. and I tell them like, this is really more so if one of you tells me, oh, I'm having an affair. I can't hold that secret. That's not, of course, couple therapy won't be effective. Yeah. Like, we can't, I can't just be the <laughs> uh, like a fair hostage over here. No, yeah. But when it comes to trauma, because I, I do have clients that, you know, when I have my individual sessions with them, they'll share with me like, oh, yeah, this, this is everything that's happened that I, I remember. And I'm very clear with them. Hey, some of the shame, the pain, the fear, the terror of what happened to you might come up, might show up between you and your partner, just like as a flashback or emotional flashback sense, we don't have to talk about the memory with your partner. We don't have to go into that with your partner. That is your choice. That is your story to tell. So that's like where I actually will honor the clients in that sense, trauma narrative of, yeah, shame is a huge emotion to feel. And you might not want to tell your partner what created that shame. Also too, your partner doesn't need to know that what they need to know is yeah. the most important piece here is what that shame feels like for you, what it looks like for you and what it does to block connection for you.
0: Yeah, That's
1: what yeah. we need to look at here. Not, you know, the horrible, horrible things that happen to you, unless you do want to share that, that's perfectly fine. Yeah. Sorry to you hear my cat in the background. Oh, no worries. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> She's like, it's food time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's just to clarify too, with, with like the secrets policy. We do honor, you know, trauma narratives of just, you you never have to share that. But affairs, no, affairs, we do have to share. So this is happening and couples therapy is not effective when this is happening.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. 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 So that's,
1: yeah. I I hear a a
0: similarity here too between the EFT and the CRM around Mm -hmm. this idea of like, you don't actually have to disclose the details of traumatic memories in order to process them. And I just want to highlight that because I I think that's a reason a lot of people are scared to try trauma therapy because there's this Mm -hmm. idea that it's just going to be sitting there and having to like pour over every detail of every trauma that you've experienced in your life. Um, So, you know, what I'm, what I'm hearing is that, again with that experiential lens it's more about like what you're feeling today right it's about like what's happening in your body what's happening in your attachments you know um and that this processing can happen you know without without having to like explicitly share the details so um why is that you know for the people that are that are listening like why do you not need to go into the details to process trauma Uh,
1: i I just find because i know there's like a lot of the cbt processing models um, they're very focused on, we're going through the narrative. We're going through the narrative. We're going through the narrative. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I do notice exactly what you just said to reflect it again. A lot of clients don't want to do that, especially too. What if they don't remember everything about the trauma? You're just like this happened. And then I was gone. And it's just like, we'll slow it down. What else do you remember? It's just that that's it. Mm -hmm. Right. So I I mean, I think it's just the emotional piece that is the most important driver of all of it, right? Yeah. Like a, a way CRM was explained to me was what it does is the memory is still there, but it drains the emotional reactivity around the memory. Yeah. So that's that's the heart of it in a sense, right? So we don't need to go into every single detail of what happened to you. I mean, especially for complex trauma survivors. There's so much. You could be, be in therapy for 30 years. Yeah. And yeah. then even then. Right. So so I think it just really highlights the, the real core of the issue here is what was your emotional experience and how can we create a new experience in that around that? Yeah. So it's not that same trap stuck point. And please let me know if I answered your question there.
0: No. Yeah. I I think that's, that's exactly it. And, you know, you were talking about kind of the, the emotion around it. And another way that I kind of think of it is like the meaning that Mm -hmm. we adapt from the experiences. And so um, when, when we look at like schemas, right. uh, The way that schemas were defined to me is basically, this is my model for what to expect from the world and then how to navigate that, like how to adapt, right. Like my model is like, everyone is going to betray me and abuse use me. And the way I need to adapt to that is to, you know, be completely mm-hmm. disconnected and avoid it just as like one example. And it so
1: that's, sense. that's yeah. kind of
0: what we're trying to reprocess, right? Like we're not exactly. ever trying to reprocess or minimize or, or invalidate that that was the truth. Like your, your, mm-hmm. truth, your truth was that everyone abused you and betrayed you and that you did need yeah. to close off and, and adapt in these ways. Um, but what we're, what we're kind of trying to do is like degeneralize that. So the meaning yeah. and the adaptations that we took from from that trauma that we can really validate, like, yeah, that, that was reality. Kind of like we were talking about before I adapted in the best way that I could, but now looking around, like the meaning has changed actually, you know, the meaning was like, yeah, that's how my family was, but that's not how the whole world is. You know, there, there actually are people that I can be safe with or that I can emotionally connect with. So that's, that's the way that I kind of explained it to my clients too, is like,
1: we're reprocessing the meaning of Of what happens. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's like what we, what I do in particular too, is I'll go in once we're in the trauma memory or once the clients are, I'm not in it. But once the client is in the trauma memory, once they get to like the tip, tip, tip root of the emotion, let's say it's terror. I'll ask them once they're in the tip of it, what belief formed here? What did yeah. you say about yourself? What did you say about the world when this happened, when you felt this, that's mm-hmm. where I'll heal here. I'm unlovable, I'm not good enough, I'm yes. a failure as a human being, no one's around me, I'll never be safe, attachment is dangerous. It, it paradoxes will come up too. Paradoxes are huge in trauma work yes. too. Of just I exist, I don't exist, I love him, I hate him. Yeah. Like we'll work with those too and it's just it's so mm. critical for the client to see that was I mean I know choice is a whole other topic to get into here too, but it's like, we look at that choice point of, I had to believe this in order to survive what happened to me, like the attachment paradox. I need to attach to survive, but if I attach, it feels like I'm going to die, right? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You had to do something. Something had to be done there to survive what was happening. That was the choice that was made. Look at what the trauma did. Look at how that impacted and limited you going forward. And also too, notice how sitting in the belief, I'm unlovable, look mm. at how that limited and impacted you going forward. Mm. That way clients too get to see how, that's how the trauma continues in a sense, right? right. It's not just the somatic piece. It's also too, I believed truly and thoroughly I was unlovable and I sat there and I believed yeah. it yeah. and I wasn't ready to confront the reality that one, I am lovable and also too, they hurt me. They abused me. They neglected me. Yeah. That truth is actually the painful truth that we process. Yes. Yes. Yeah.
0: And you know, we're talking about core beliefs like this, it's making me mm-hmm. think, you know, I'm just gonna bring up CBT again here because <laughs> um, you know, there there's a process that I've noticed in, in different kinds of cognitive models, which is you identify the core belief and then you kind mm-hmm. of try to identify like the positive belief that you should have instead. And to yeah. me, it feels like this very rushed process of trying there's to There's no like,
1: experience. Yes, there's no experience.
0: <laughs> yeah. You're just like, oh, and and then there's the, you know, kind of rationally analyzing the core belief. Like, do you have evidence for this? You know, what's your evidence that you're unlovable? Like, can, can you name people that, that do love you? And I just want to validate for everyone listening. You know, if you have complex trauma and you've had a therapist try to work with your core beliefs in that way, that can be such a re-traumatizing experience, right? Because exactly. it's, it's going into these, like these beliefs that were formed during vulnerable, painful, moments. you know, periods mm-hmm. and moments. And like you said, those beliefs actually have a function as well. Right. Like, they, mm-hmm. you know, they developed for yeah. a reason and just kind of trying to delegitimize them and invalidate yeah. them and like force them into this, you know, this new, oh, well, you know, I'm going to uh, yeah. try to incorporate this new core belief that I'm lovable, but we haven't actually done any of the
1: neurobiological
0: processing,
1: you know, to, yeah, to resource that belief. Yeah. We don't understand the story. Yeah. Right. Cause clients will ask me, why don't I love myself? And I'll say, I don't know. We need to go in and let's find, find out. out. Yeah. Yeah. Let's find out. But once they understand why they don't love themselves, then they can see that was never true. Mm, And then with that comes the grief, the pain, the anger of realizing, you know, what they had to believe in order to survive their traumatic environment was not actually true, right? Going back to that attachment paradox, I need to attach to survive, but if I attach, it feels like I'm going to die. You know, that kind of battle between attachment versus authenticity, right? Yeah. I have to attach as a child, as an infant. I have to. I will literally die if I don't. Yeah. When I do attach, you know, for some clients it is a physical death. They do physically feel like they will die if they attach. But always for those, just for those who maybe felt like they were physically going to die and not, there is that emotional, psychological, like death of self, in a sense of my authentic self could not exist in order to survive what happened to me. Yes. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. And it's kind of bypassing all of that, you know, the grief, Mm -hmm. the pain, the rage, Mm -hmm. like all of those emotional processes. Um, it's, it's deep work. And, you know, I think just having this conversation with you about, about CRM and about these different deeper models, it's making me think of another question that people ask me a lot, which <laughs> yeah. is how long does this take? <laughs> you know, oh my gosh. What's, the, okay. so what's, what's your experience? I mean, I know it varies a lot based on person, but what do you tell clients when they
1: ask you, like, what's, what's the ETA on, on this healing thing? Oh. <laughs> it's the most annoying answer. It depends. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's, it's the answer. Clients are just like, please stop. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, I tell clients it depends because they can, you know, for, I would, I would anticipate at least two to three years. That's what I would Mm -hmm. anticipate. I would not be surprised because what happens too is when you go into this work, you just discover so much about yourself that it's almost like this craving and yearning for further discovery, curiosity, like there's almost just this deeper need to just attach as much as you can to yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, So in that sense, like I I suspect I have clients that will, you know, last with me longer beyond like their, their core trauma, you know, memories into just really remembering every aspect of who they are, remembering every part of who they are. Mm -hmm. So I mean, generally two to three years, quote unquote. I mean, now for my clients with, with DID or OSDD, I would anticipate to be in it for the long haul for, for Mm -hmm. definitely the long haul. I would, I mean, minimum five years, I would say. Mm -hmm. Um, And even then, I mean, that's like, if you're (laughs) like, just like kind of burning through everything, like, okay, know all the all the parts all the altars. we got their names we got their functions okay we know what they're holding yeah and now we're going into trauma right it, yeah it, it, yeah it would be probably too fast but yeah if you're going to do this work I would anticipate that you're probably for any of the bottom-up approaches I would anticipate to be in it for the long term and that doesn't mean you're going to be seeing a therapist once two times a week for several years right a lot of my clients have graduated to bi-weekly to, yep. to once a month and that's I mean that's really cool stuff too because then what can happen is they show up to session and just hey this one thing happened this month let's go into it versus mm-hmm. you know first every week they're coming in they're just like nothing really activated me Yeah, I'm feeling pretty good yeah yep. <laughs> thing, though. yeah they yeah
0: yeah I I found the same thing which is that like um you know to really kind of. Fully dig into and process and heal all the little, you know, nooks and crannies. It's a long, long term process. But I tell people that doesn't mean it's going to be four years until you feel any better. You know, exactly the relief can kick in sooner than that, right? Like the the whole therapy process isn't done in six months. But, you know, when you build up these resources that we've been talking about, the kind of quality of life and just, you know, the feelings of groundedness shift, I think, pretty quickly, you know, compared to for example, staying in that just kind of cognitive top-down space and and not doing any Mm -hmm. of this deeper work. So I I do always want to tell people that too, where it's like, it is a long-term process, but you know, you will start to at least feel some of these shifts happening, you know, at least in most cases, obviously it depends on the client, but in most cases, those shifts do start to kick in in the first, you know, six months or so in my experience.
1: Yeah, and that's. I think that's actually a great point to bring in there too. Of just, it's it's a long. We're doing a lot because the other thing too, and I tell clients this is, you've been conditioned by trauma, for two, three, four, five decades. Yeah, this isn't going to just be, you know. Oh, this is what happened. Resolved, right? Get out of here. You're good to go. Like I I make it clear to clients too. Like my job is your therapist. And I tell them this in like my intake, or I try to always remember to tell them in my intake, my job as your therapist is to make my job obsolete. Yep. I know that you have the internal healing resources you need to just internally do this work hence why I don't actually need to know the trauma story Mm -hmm. that's being processed. Mm -hmm. You just, you lost access to that because the the trauma was so overwhelming and it just had to be so dissociated to survive it. I'm here to help you remember that internal processing, that internal resourcing. So you get to the point where, hey, Marley, fun stuff, cool journey. I'm ready to go live. I'm ready to go do stuff. And if something comes up, I know you'll be here and we can go back into it. But other than that, I'm just going to go live because I know I can. Yeah, I think seeing clients
0: like graduate from therapy is such an exciting part. You know, when you've been with them through the journey and then they're like, "Yeah, you know, I've kind of been coming into session recently and just not having much to talk about. Like I, you know, I'm
1: feeling Things are good." good. <laughs>
0: it's like, yeah. "Oh my gosh, yay!" And I do that same thing where yeah. clients will step down to bi-weekly and then down to once mm-hmm. a month and then it's like, "Okay, yeah, I feel I feel confident, you know, I'm ready to to step out yeah. of therapy." So it's such a beautiful uh, I feel so lucky to get to be a therapist and just get to be on these journeys with people. It really is such a, s- a
1: beautiful thing. And it's uh, I think the other thing too that I really love about the like bottom up approaches is just the emotional connection the therapist does have to the client. Yeah. Because attachment is so critical. Like when my clients are so flooded that their internal resources aren't working, I'll jump in with them. i just, hey, look in my eyes and we're going to breathe together. Mm-hmm. Nothing else is going to happen. We're okay. We're safe here. Mm-hmm. We're just breathing together, right? Like that's, and for the CBT therapist I had, they never did that. In no, fact, no. they don't want to do because dependency, um, as if right. dependency is a bad word. Right, um, right. No, it, yes. I mean, for some therapists, they're very unethical with it. But if I think if you're very aware of what you're using the interdependency for and how you're using co-regulation with clients, it just because, yeah, like when I go into sessions with clients for processing, I mean, I'm there with them. I feel it with them. Maybe not yeah. to the same depth or degree, but what happens to my clients really matters to me really
0: yeah. matters. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I feel like we could do a whole nother episode about <laughs> how, <laughs> how the therapist client relationship is different with bottom up because absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there's been this big paradigm shift in general with like the blank mm-hmm. slate therapists. That was yep. the, the standard for so long for us to be like, absolutely no self-disclosure, no disclosure. non-emotional, yep. just like I'm a professional, like, you know, very, I'm detached. the expert, I'm the expert. Yeah. you're the client, And I mean, we just know that that, is super activating and super, you know, unsafe for people with trauma. So, um, showing up in the room, like in this attunement that you were talking about is Mm -hmm. so different. And I, I know earlier you mentioned that, um, the therapist attuning to their own nervous system and like their own yep. experiences as part of the process. And I, I really find that that that's so attachment based, right? Cause it's like, mm-hmm. we are here, you know, there is a relationship and a, an Absolutely. attachment between us. And so I'm kind of feeling my own responses, you know, as we do mm-hmm. this processing and that can actually even give me some feedback into what's going on with the client. Like, Oh, I'm kind of feeling this like freeze energy, you know, inside of me and like, Oh yeah, my client's in freeze right now. So I think that's, that's such a difference between that top down approach to, um, yeah. And I, the feedback I've gotten from clients is that it feels so much more like warm and human and just safe to, to be authentic in that
1: kind of space. Yeah, well, we can actually go here because I know you're here with me versus, yes. you know, just talking about this on blue in the face and it still kind of feels the same. But now I've just really intellectualized it. So I yeah. don't really feel it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just. Yeah. So for clients to know, too, like if you're going to a therapist that does a similar modality, we're in it with you. Like we, we really do feel for and with you and, and you do have an impact on us. You are important to us. It is a professional relationship and also too, it's still an attachment-based relationship or at least in my work it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's so, it's such an
0: interesting balance. And (laughs) I think in terms of that witnessing too, like if I'm sharing, you know, the, the deepest parts of my emotional experience Mm -hmm. with a therapist, I want them to be, you know, steady and secure. I don't want them to be getting super dysregulated, but I do exactly. want them to be feeling empathy and actually, you know, connecting with me on that level. And so yeah. I've had experiences as the client, right? Where a therapist yeah. doing this bottom-up approach will actually say, like, oh, that like there's tears in my eyes hearing you say mm-hmm. this. Like that just I feel that pain, you know, for younger you so much. And it yeah. it really yeah. is like a reparative experience versus, you know, I'm talking, I'm like pouring my my heart out to somebody and they're um. Um, yeah. you know, just non-responsive, like no, just no emotional writing response. A note. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm like, there is something healing about a therapist being like, man, I'm, I'm angry for you hearing about that yeah. situation. I, like my heart yeah. hurts
1: for you. You're not alone here anymore. Yeah. Right. You're not alone here. I'm here right by your side. And, and I think you bring up a good point here too, between the difference of how to use this and like an attachment based approach versus client now coddling the therapist. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Where, yeah. The intention is when we feel with clients, it's so they know we really are there with them. What yes. they're going through is so important because for me, some of the most impactful sessions I've had with clients are the points of reconnection Yeah, where I just, I know how difficult it was and it is so profound and touching to see that point of reconnection again internally or within a couple. So yeah, just to that like mm. that, that heal that with him and I'll let them know like this is good stuff. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Versus, oh my you know,
1: the therapist getting flooded, right? Right. Oh right. my God, I can't believe that happened. To yeah. You. Yeah. <laughs> Where are you? This isn't about you. The client went through this. Get exactly. Over it. I mean, exactly. You, the therapist, get over it. For the client, yes. don't get over it. You should be upset.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a very interesting way of it's like, I'm feeling it with you, but I'm I'm steady and I'm secure and I'm
1: okay. Yeah. I don't need you to take care of me, you know. But just know that I'm in it with you. I'm feeling it. It's that it's that secure base, safe haven. Yes right? Yes. Like, yes, I can feel this. And this is what I try to model too, for those couples where one client has trauma and the other does not Is kind of like watch me. And a I don't say that to them, but they observe me going into something with the client and they see this isn't as I'm not as scared as I thought I would be going mm-hmm. in here. Mm-hmm. And actually too, I still totally see my partner and I feel them and I love them and I cherish them in a place they've never been loved or cherished before. Yeah. So yeah. So It's good stuff. It's all good stuff. It's so good. So good. (laughs) Well, we're we're coming to the end of our time
0: here. So I guess I'm just gonna my last question is just gonna be like an open-ended is there anything else that you are like passionate about or that you have just been moved by in your work that you want to to touch on before we wrap up? I know Um, that's like a very
1: open-ended question for you, but (laughs) I mean, I lightly touched on this before. I, I just don't think there can be enough emphasis on. Uh, Just how important co-regulation and interdependency are Mm. Um, and both internally and externally, which might sound a little silly because it's like, how do I internally depend on myself? Mm. But like with parts work, I think you can absolutely create that sense of, you know, co-regulation and interdependency. But even too, like I've had clients after sessions, like individual clients after sessions where I'm like, can you please just go be with your partner? Like just mm. if you're comfortable, can they hold you? Can you two go get some really tasty food afterwards? They're like, no, this is my burden to care. Like they don't need mm. to know about any of this. And it's like, look, they don't have to know what we're doing here. But also too, they are an external resource. and. Yeah. I mean, they're they're here. I I imagine if I were your partner, I would want to be here for you, where I don't need to know the nitty gritty. In fact, it's probably better I don't. But I I do want to be here with you, like to have an external resource that is grounded and soothing and calm and safe. Mm -hmm. Like, if you have that resource, please lean into it. It's not bad. It's not wrong. To really counter against like codependency and needing others is bad and wrong. Like, yeah. No, 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 no. It's absolutely not. And I think the the quicker we understand and allow and give ourselves permission to really be with others. I, I, I mean, I do feel like that makes it easier to be with self to mm-hmm. kind of switch the quotes. You know, you can only love, you know, you can only be in a loving relationship when you love yourself. Like, no, it's like the opposite loving relationships. <laughs> yeah. Loving relationships are what provides a foundation, a blueprint for us. Yeah. Right. Like that's what we need. I would argue first. That's why mm-hmm. attachment is so critical when we're so young, mm-hmm. we, we know we need it. We just don't know what it looks like. Right. Yeah. So in that regard, I just really want to encourage clients. And I mean, even beyond partners, right? Like if you have a close friend, if you have an animal that you are so connected to, they also absolutely count, right? Like anything you can do to trigger the attachment system in your brain to start releasing oxytocin and other really good neurochemicals. I mean, please lean into that. We were literally created for that. Our evolution actually depends on our ability to connect, to, you know, be together, to have a community mm-hmm. in a larger sense too. So last thought here is, is just how important internal and external attachment is. Please yeah. find that within and outside of yourself and you can't find it alone. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love that because it it really does run so so counter to a lot of like the dominant messages that we get around healing, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I've talked before on my podcast about how it often takes on oh, yeah. this very like hyper independent, um, you know, just like attitude, yeah. uh, and and can definitely increase like shame and avoidance and isolation. All this and, stuff, yeah. Um, yeah. Even like the self self regulation, which obviously self regulation is important and and is a part of yeah. healing, but I find that like over emphasis on self-regulation without also talking about co-regulation can totally just recreate that traumatic experience of aloneness that we were talking about right where it's like here I am alone in my feelings Mm -hmm. you know trying to self-soothe 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 with no connection yeah
1: and it's Because what drives me up a wall too is you know, it just reinforces, you know, anxiously attached people are bad, they don't know how to regulate, they're needy, Mm. they're clingy, they're whatever the hell people accuse them of. Mm -hmm. And then for avoidantly attached people, you know, great job, keep going, Yeah, being disconnected, keep (laughs) keep being hyper-individualistic. Like, no, that doesn't benefit either person, right? I mean, putting the, the avoidant on the pedestal it really limits their capacity and then putting, you know, anxiously attached people in this just really just dehumanizing category. Uh, yeah, I, I have a lot of words, but yes. I will see them to myself, but yeah, just a lot of empathy and love towards, you know, anyone who is anxious or avoidantly attached. Cause I get it. I totally yeah. get it. And I just, I hope both of you do find, you know, that, that sense of secure, Safe, yeah, doable, warm attachment. Cause that's that's where it is. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's, that's where it actually is. It's not yeah. just being hyper-individualistic and just disconnecting everything. Yeah. But, anyways, yes, yep. I've said enough there. <laughs> Thank you so much.
0: Yeah. And are you taking clients? I know people are gonna want to know if they can work with you after hearing
1: this episode. Yeah, fair enough. I I think I have room for just a few more clients. So please reach out to me, especially if you're interested in doing this work. I would love to help. If not, though, I'm more than happy to give referrals. To to my colleagues that do this work. Um, I work with therapists that you might imagine are very similar to me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, they might process a little bit differently because they're their own different humans, but if if you at all connect with any of the modalities I talked about today or touched about today, please let me know. If I can't take you, I'm more than happy to to guide you to other therapists that can. Um, And I, I mean, I am full. I call them like scholarship spots. I am full on my scholarship spots, more so known as sliding scale spots. Mm. But if anyone would like to to ask more, inquire about that, please let me know, because I I do really want to offer a lot more of that in the future, too, of just... Yeah. Providing therapy to to people who really need it, but are, it's just totally inaccessible. Yep. So in that regard, you know, let me know if you're interested in that, or if you need any help finding uh, a referral for a therapist that might be more able, more room to offer that.
0: Yeah, amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, and I'm I'm going to be including your links to your website in this podcast oh, description. Perfect. So thank you. Can find you there. Yeah. Thank you yeah. so much, Marley. This has been amazing. I feel like I can talk to you <laughs> for seven more hours, but probably. <laughs> we'll, right. We'll end it for now, thank you so much for for offering yeah, your expertise.
1: Yeah, and if I may too, thank you so much for this podcast. Thank you so much for your TikToks. I mean, I've had clients mention you, reference you, actually in mm-hmm. some of my sessions of especially around harm reduction. Mm-hmm. I really cannot stress how much I appreciate what you're doing and how you're creating. Just you're making this so much more accessible, and I mm-hmm. just a lot of gratitude for me to to you as well. More than happy to help, and if you need any other help you know, in any other way, just creating the resources you are, I'm happy to, to be there with you to either support or if you need to vent, I'm, Thank I'm here. You so much. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. That,
0: you know, that really is my goal with this podcast and with the work that I do in general is just to help empower people with trauma to find effective therapy, because my yeah. experience, so, you know, before I became a client or a therapist, and I'm, I'm really open about this, I spent mm-hmm. 10, 10 years looking for good trauma mm-hmm. therapy and not finding it. And, you know, that wasn't just because it's not, it doesn't exist. It's not out there. It's because there was so little education or resources that I could find about Mm -hmm. what, what to even look for, what are even the options for therapy. And so I just ended up with the same top-down approach over and over and over again. Um, so that's what I want is I I want people to know, like, look at all these cool modalities that are out there. Mm -hmm. Of of course, we have a long way to go with therapy being more accessible. Like you said, you know, there's a lot of, of challenges there, but I think that, you know when people reach out to me and they say like oh because of your podcast i was able to find you know a somatic therapist or an ims therapist or whatever
1: that yeah. just makes me so stoked so happy yeah no it's it's awesome and i again i can't stress enough how much i appreciate just you creating a space where these different modalities can also be seen from like the therapist perspective because i think too when people watch your tiktoks and their clients or want to become clients they see how we relationally are as therapists versus mm-hmm. some of those top-down approach therapists, not mm-hmm. to say all of them. I know I have some friends that are phenomenal relational therapists and do mm-hmm. touch that top-down, but I, I do think too, just having someone like you kind of be the face of that in a sense, not to put that on you.
0: Oh, <laughs> it's been <an>
1: <laughs> You got the sweat porn again yeah but just to like have someone like you to just and and, and numerous other therapists too on tiktok i don't mm-hmm. want to you know just again put this all on you but just to have all of you talk about this put your face on it and just like clients see or potential clients see just really what this is and also too a lot of us get it a lot of us yeah. are survivors like we yeah. and we get the struggle of finding good therapists yep <laughs> like can't tell you how many I've had to fire, but oh, with yeah. that said, because that's enough about me, but with that said, yeah, thank you so much for everything you do. And for you too, if you need any support in the future, please feel free to, to reach out to me. I'm more than happy to, to be here. Thank you so much, Marley. Wow, that was such an amazing
0: episode. I'm so happy that I got to have Marley on the podcast. I learned a lot about the comprehensive resource model and I hope that you guys all learned from it as well. Keep your ears out, keep your eyes out because I have four more episodes planned for this next month, all interviewing amazing therapists about bottom-up modalities. So I'm happy to be back. Thanks for listening, everyone.